Well, good morning, church. If preachers were able to give extra credit in heaven, Spring Forward Day would earn you some extra credit for being here. Uh, Want to welcome those of you who can't be here in person, who but, but who are joining us online. I know with spring break and spring forward, this is one of those Sundays where it, it's it's there are a lot of challenges for us to be able to be all in one place together. Uh, and I want to thank you for just this opportunity we have to gather together uh, as God's people, to sing, to pray, uh, to gather around the table, and now to open our hearts to God's word. Uh, before we do that, though, I, I do want to mention. Uh, a couple of things. The, the first being uh, that today is the one-year anniversary of us losing Mark Rogers. Uh, and if you're anything like me on a day like today, that means you have a lot of different emotions coursing through you. Uh, I'm still angry. It's still not fair. Uh, it still doesn't make sense to me. And I know that all of us, in one way or another, are still limping and hurting uh, through life. That's especially true for Mark's family. They're, they're sitting uh, just right. Urban's wearing a Make Your Mark t-shirt, if, if you can't see him, right there. They've got friends surrounding them, close friends. The rideouts are there, other people holding them up. And I want to thank this church, th- th- this family, uh, as we have tried our best to know how to be there uh, for everyone who, who is in Mark's family and is, is grieving. Uh, Jen and the kids are not here with us this morning. Uh, in some way, they're on a trip, but I think in other ways it was too hard for them to be here this morning. That's especially true for Jen. And I think it's a good reminder for us that when you go through something like this, it, it's not that everybody goes through grief the same way. And we want to be a church that's responsive to be helpful in ways that help. And so I, I feel comfortable in telling you that Urban and Melissa want to be surrounded this morning. Uh, they want to talk about it. They want you to, to tell them that you care deeply about what they're going through. Uh, when it comes to how are we going to help Jen, well, she's not here this morning. Uh, and I don't know that we want to just blow her phone up with so many texts that she can't even get to all of them on this day. And so I want to encourage us to be thinking about how do we not just focus on anniversaries, but how do we continue to be there? And one of the things I'll, I'll say, uh, as somebody who has walked alongside of people in grief like this, is that we're all really focused on that first year, uh, the first Christmas, the first birthday, the first everything. And there's, there's less of a sense of what do you do in year two, And here's the suggestion I want to give to you. Keep talking about Mark. Keep telling Mark's stories. But I don't think we have to keep apologizing for how we lost him. Does that make any sense? I don't think we have to keep talking about that in order to talk with them. There are lots and lots of great Mark stories. Uh, Mark... Mark was the one person who, when I was preaching, would text me on purpose just to try to distract me while we were preaching to see what was going to happen, right? That was Mark. That's not all of who Mark was, but that's part of who Mark was, right? We need to tell Mark stories. Um, We don't always have to talk about the accident, and so I just want to encourage you to think about ways we can do that. 
want you to keep praying. And I, I also want to remind everyone that these kinds of moments are challenging, not just for the people who are closest to what happened, but for all of us. There are other losses in this room. There's other grief in this room. I have a close friend who, uh, whose family had a horrible, tragic thing happen to them last night, and they're, they're limping through life now. Um, we also, as a, as a congregation of this size, have reminders of God's faithfulness through all of these kinds of things. Yesterday was marked seven years ago that uh, Hunter Hanner came home from being as close to death as I think anybody could possibly imagine. He came home. And we want to celebrate that. We want to remind one another of the goodness of God, of the faithfulness of God in the midst of our heartbroken moments as well. So I just want us to not run away from any of that. I'm so thankful for church. You know, when people go through things like this, I always hear people say it, and I always think it might, I don't know how you go through something like this without a church family. And I'm so thankful for the, the ways we've done that. But it's not over yet. That's what today reminds us. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. And we don't run away from it. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for community, uh, for the gift not only of our relationship with, with you individually, but our shared relationships with one another that only you make possible. And God, there are times when, when we forget that church was in your heart from the beginning, that the foundation of a family of faith was something that you hoped and longed for, for all of us to get to experience. And so, God, we pray that you would help us know how to be there for one another. If we need to talk, give us the words. If someone doesn't need us to talk and they just need us to be there, help us be there. If, if they need us to somehow figure out how to get the meals and, and help take care of their house, whatever it is, God, help us be living proof that you walk beside us. You walk beside us in the valleys and you walk beside us on the mountaintops. You are always with us, and we want to be people who help others experience the truth of that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you've got a Bible, let's open up to Matthew chapter 17. We're going to start reading together in verse 1. Six days later, that's a pretty short phrase, right? And it's something you might go over pretty quickly. Do you remember how long it took for God to create the world? In Genesis 1? Six days, right? And then on the seventh day, God chose to just rest and be, to be present. It's not on accident that Matthew starts the story telling us six days after what? If, if you turn back in your Bible, it's six days after a conversation? Okay, that's, it's not the conversation that's the point, it's, it's the amount of time. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of a very high mountain. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus, Old Testament superstars. Peter reacted to all of this by saying, 
to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. And if, if you want, I'll, I'll set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, in other words, God interrupted him. Okay? While he was still speaking, look. I love how Matthew writes that. It's like it's happening. Right? Look. Uh, sorry, I've lost my place. A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said to them, This is my son, whom I dearly love. I'm very pleased with him. Listen to him. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces filled with awe. A better word is terror. They're terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And this is one of the most well-known stories within Jesus' life and ministry leading up to the cross. It's, it's one of those stories that once you hear it, you try to imagine what it must have been like to be there, it, it stays with you. And it obviously was something that Peter, James, and John not only experienced, but they told in great detail to other people. Matthew wasn't up there. He's got a really detailed version of the story. They told it, right? They, they carried it with them from that moment on. And we relate. To, to longing for this kind of experience with Jesus, don't we? I mean, we long to have spiritual encounters with God where we get to experience the truth of who God is and who we are. We have a term for these moments. It comes from this story. Mountaintop experiences, right? When we're talking about our spiritual journey, we have these, these touchstone moments where For some reason, we don't always understand why, we felt the presence of God in an undeniable way. And and maybe we felt nearness, maybe we, we got the chills, maybe we suddenly had a conviction, a clarity where we'd never had it before. And it's never a moment that lasts as long as we want it to, right? It always kind of slips through our fingers. And once you have that kind of experience, it never it never leaves you. You may not tell a bunch of people about it because you may not understand what, what was happening to you, or it may be so personal you don't know how to share it, but once it happens, you, you start to live your life searching for it to happen again if you're a person of faith, right? You, you want those kinds of encounters. We all do. And Peter's response to it is a natural response. It's good for us to be here. That's what he says. Then he goes beyond it and he says, and in fact, if you want me to, I'll set up three tents. Now, with what? What's he talking about here, right? He's talking about the, the tent of presence from the Old Testament, which has a name that we don't tend to toss around just all the time, the tabernacle. Right before the temple, when the people of God were, were traveling on their pilgrimage through the wilderness, they needed a mobile worship center. It's a tabernacle. The tent of presence. That's the phrase he's using here. He wants to build three tents, not just to have some you know, roof over their head, but to create a place, a moment where, where they're going to be able to, to be reached again, right? To, to take some time 
to carve out this place on top of a mountain where people could come from all over and have the same kind of experience Peter's having right now. Now, I think part of it is that Peter wants other people to have that experience. I think the other part of it is Peter wants a reliable place for the rest of his life where he can go and he can see this. He can see Jesus in all of his glory. He can see these these people he had imagined his entire life and hoped somehow that God would would help him encounter Elijah and Moses, right? But, But this is beyond anything he could have ever really expected. And he thinks, look, it's good. This kind of thing, I I have chills, Jesus. I feel as close to you and to God as I ever have before. Is there a way we can set up a place where I can come and go and this will be here? I I think what he's feeling is natural, right? It's, It's natural for us to try to stay in moments when we're awake to the supernatural presence of God. Now, I say awake to the supernatural presence of God because God is always present, God is always trying to help us in some way or another realize we're not alone. But there are these moments in our lives where we're suddenly awake to it. We're open to it. And suddenly we realize this is how it could be. It's natural to want to stay in those kinds of moments. The difficulty is nobody's figured out exactly how you get to stay in those kinds of moments forever. It's open to you. And then it, it kind of closes. So then you try to figure out all the conditions that led to that moment, and you try to recreate it, and you hope it happens again. This is the challenge, brothers and sisters. I think of you know, having all these different religious experiences and not fully understanding why in a given moment we encountered God in a special way. We were awake to God's presence in a, in a way that is different from all others because we start to think, we can control it. It can happen on demand. So we try to take all those conditions and we try to, try to get it all the same way that it was and then we expect it to happen again. So if we go to camp or if we go to a retreat, I think through my life, right? My mountaintop experiences actually happened on mountaintops in California. I know it may be hard for some of you to trust that there are good Christian spiritual religious experiences in California, but they happen, right? So I remember growing up, going to camp, being in the mountains, looking up at the stars, singing, being surrounded by people I was close to and feeling closer to to God than I had in other places. So then I'd go back to regular old church after camp and it'd be a letdown, I mean, for one, we weren't singing the cutting-edge Devo song, It Only Takes a Spark. (laughs) That's how old I am. We were singing the old people songs. We weren't on a mountain. It was just kind of a... Have you had that? Where you you have these moments, these experiences, and then you hope you're going to find it again? And and it happens for us in church, too. Right? There's a song you sing, and and for whatever reason, you sing it one time, and you, you feel... This encounter with God. So then you, you, you see it a couple weeks later and it may be showing up on the order of worship and you get yourself all worked up and you're thinking, yeah, okay, so when we sing it, and it's, I'm going to have that same exact feeling that I had before. And then maybe it happens, but maybe it doesn't, right? And there's no way it's always going to happen. And then you start to think, okay, what's wrong? Was it my imagination before? Like what, 
what am I supposed to do to have this kind of encounter with God that I, I can predict and I can control? And the reality, brothers and sisters, is if you and I get to the place where we get to order God around to make us feel how we want to feel in moments of worship, that's not the kind of worship that God wants us to experience. We're not in control. of We may plan worship, but we're not in control of it. It's good for us to be here. We should expect and hope that we're going to be awake to God. But it's not always going to feel the same. It's not always going to look the same. There's going to be times where we show up here. I'm convinced that's why we come to church. We come to church because at some time in our life, in some way, this was a place where we had that kind of encounter and we're longing to have it again. And there's times where it happens again. And then there's weeks where you come to church and you think, am I, am I just going through the motions? Is this just happening? And, and, and God's not responding? And the truth is, brothers and sisters, all of us experience that. It's not just you. And we keep coming. We keep showing up. We keep trying to be awake, trusting that it happened before and it will happen again. God will help us see what we desperately need to see and hear what we need to hear. And it's that second thing, that second aspect that I want us to focus on for a moment. God's response when Peter says, man, I'd like to build some some worship centers so that people can reliably come and have this, this kind of moment that I'm having. God cuts him off. Now, I grew up in a family where if someone's listening to you, they're going to interrupt you. That's how you knew they were tracking with you, right? It's, I, it's just every single person in my family is an interrupter. I didn't know this was rare till I left home and started interrupting other people who didn't like it. And I thought, well, how would you know I'm listening to you if I'm not interrupting you and then offering a counterpoint? Isn't that conversation? Not for everybody. But I kind of like it that at least in Matthew, you know, 17, God's kind of acting like my family, right? He cuts Peter off and he says, look, I know you're having this response, Peter, but you're kind of missing the point. This is my son whom I dearly love and whom I'm well pleased. Now, what's interesting is Jesus has already heard those words at the beginning of Matthew when he's baptized, comes up out of the water, God says, You're my son. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Something all of us need to hear as a child of God. That God looks at us and loves us before we do anything, right? It's before Jesus' ministry that these words are declared over him. Now, Peter has to wrestle with what that means, and then God adds a phrase that he didn't originally speak in the the moment of Jesus' baptism. Listen to him. Stop talking, Peter. You talk a lot. Listen. Listen to him. Now the question is, why does God add that phrase? And I think it's pretty straightforward. If you've got your Bible or a Bible app and you go, you go back just a couple of verses into the prior chapter, you're going to find that there's been this wrestling that's been going on between Peter and Jesus We talked a little bit about it last week, where in the course of of just a few verses, Jesus goes from telling Peter, hey, you know what? You could be the bedrock 
of grace that I, I'm going to build the church on. That's what I see when I look at you, Peter. That's what, what Jesus sees in all of the disciples. They have the potential to be that bedrock of grace for the, for the church. On the other hand, once Peter starts to disagree with Jesus about the kind of Messiah he's going to be, Jesus quickly says, okay, one option is for you to be the bedrock of grace. The other option is for you to become a stone that makes me stumble. You're going to become a stone that other people stumble on. you got a choice here. right? You, you've got to decide what kind of rock you're going to be. And they keep arguing, actually. It doesn't just stop in the first back and forth. Peter keeps wrestling with... He thinks the Messiah is supposed to be this undeniable overcomer, victor, military leader that's going to fulfill all of the dreams that Peter and all the other, uh, other Jewish men and women that have hope in their heart for some sort of restoration of Israel where they get to run the world. That's what Peter wants Jesus to be. That's who Peter believes Jesus is supposed to be. And Jesus keeps saying, yeah, yeah, I, I actually am trying to do more than just restore Israel. I'm trying to restore the world. You're, you're on the right track in some ways, Peter. You're just thinking way too much about yourself and what you want. Your horizon is way too small. You need to dream and think bigger. It's about everybody. And in order for me to do that, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to have to go through difficult times that nobody understands. I need you to understand that's how it has to go for me to be who I'm supposed to be. And Peter keeps thinking there's got to be another way. Then this happens. You think it's accidental that God cuts him off and says, hey, this is my son. He's doing what I want him to do. He's doing what I've asked him to do. Would you listen to him? And, and I think what you and I need to wrestle with as people who are in some way or another dedicated to trying to follow Jesus, who are, who are trying to be disciples, is that it's dangerous for us to ever assume that we've truly heard everything Jesus is honestly trying to say to us. It is so easy if you've grown up in church and you've spent your life having memory verses and reading the Bible and you think you've heard it all before, it is so easy for us to think that the Bible is some sort of book that gives us these ideas that we can hold on to and we can understand and we can teach. And once we've got a handle on it, we're kind of done. But we're not listening to the Bible. We're listening to Jesus. Through the Bible. Like we're, we're trying to listen to Jesus. And the Bible's trying to teach us how to not only hear Jesus in the words of Scripture, but how we're going to continue to hear Jesus in our own souls and in our own hearts. And I, I don't, I want to be really clear about this. Jesus is never going to say something into your heart, into your soul that contradicts what he says in the words of Scripture. But he's going to find a way to personalize it in a way that might cause you to want to run. Like, I'm not talking to everybody, Ed. I'm talking to you. Listen to him. Right? You think you've heard it all before, but I can tell when I look at your life that you think that there was a different way for Jesus to move through the world. And I know you think that because you're moving through the world differently. And, and you're still 
convinced that you're following Jesus in faithful ways, but you've got these blind spots. You've got these things in your heart and in your life where you don't resemble Jesus at all. And the places in our hearts and our lives where we don't resemble Jesus at all, they're the places that we still need to encounter the grace of God to change us. And all of us have those things in our lives where we're just not nearly enough like him. And part of it's because we don't listen to him because we think we've heard it all. You haven't heard it all. It's not possible. And so you and I need to have the courage to think, what is it that Jesus says directly in Scripture that that Jesus through the Holy Spirit is saying directly to me inside of who I am that I'm ignoring or I'm running from because it's too hard. It's too difficult. I don't want to have to face it. What is it, brothers and sisters? I can't figure it out for you. I, I can't. But all of us have those places in our hearts and in our lives where we are holding Christ at arm's length. So what is it for you that you need to hear? I'll tell you what I need to hear. That if I'm going to resemble Christ, my life has to include moments where I choose to suffer for the sake of other people. And I don't tweet about it and I don't tell anybody about it. I just do it because that's where Jesus is asking me to go. So what is it for you that you don't want to hear? I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we could have a moment of terror, which is what they experience. You know, they're not afraid when Jesus starts glowing. They're not afraid when two superstars of the Old Testament just show up. That's great. It's when Peter starts to run his mouth and God says, "Uh uh-uh, listen to him. That they're filled with terror? Well, part of it's because Jesus is trying to be as clear as he can of where he's going. And disciples follow their leader. He's going to a cross. They've heard him talk about it, but they haven't listened to it. And when they start to wrestle with what that's going to mean for them, they're filled with a certain kind of dread. And then Jesus, I love this, I love this image. He finds a way. He doesn't doesn't preach a sermon. Aren't Aren't you thankful? He just finds a way to get to them. He touches them, and he says what he always says, right? What's his reassurance? Get up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what you know is going to happen to me because I've told you. Don't be afraid that you've promised to follow me, and what's happening to me in some way or another is going to happen to you. Don't be afraid. It is, it's essential. It's essential for us to develop a deep trust that Jesus is always doing this, right? Jesus is always trying to to reach us, to raise us up, and to restore our courage. Not, Not just take away the things that might be causing us to have fear, 
or sadness or grief. Man, I think if we could design a God from the ground up, we would have a God who never allows any of those things to happen. I get it. I think about it often. When horrible, tragic things unfold in our lives and I can't make any sense of it. I've told you before, I have a whole list of conversations that I need to have with Jesus when I get there and all those conversations, it's somebody's name. And I really am going to need him to sit there and be patient and let me talk. And he might interrupt me, but that'll just make me feel at home. <laughs> like we, we have these things that happen to us that for very good reason, we're hurting. And we're afraid of what's going to happen next. You know, I, I've heard people say there's 365 occurrences of don't be afraid in the Bible, one for every day of the week throughout the year, right? Like I get it. Uh, that's not exactly true, but it, it really goes around the internet fast. But one thing I do know is that Jesus says this over and over. And you only say this, you only have to say, get up. Don't be afraid when someone's fallen flat on their face and they don't think they can get up and they're afraid to get up. They're afraid of what, what they're going to have to deal with, right? And Jesus finds a way to reach out and touch us and say, the same power that's in me is in you, and it's resurrection power. So get up and don't be filled with fear. And we've got to find a way to let Jesus say that to us and believe it. To trust it enough where even though there's going to be things that, that keep happening to us that, that give us very real reasons to just give up and lay down and quit, that Jesus says, no, I, I don't care what it is you think is going to happen next. I don't, I don't care when you look at the state of the world and you think, I don't, what are we supposed to do? I'll tell you what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to get up and start over. And realize that whatever it is that's threatening to undo us, Jesus is more powerful than whatever it is. That Jesus wants to partner with us where we become people who come alongside of somebody who's falling flat on their face and they don't know what to do. And we reach out and we touch your shoulder and we say, I don't know why I was trying to comfort the monitor, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like, it's okay. I know it doesn't make sense. How does it make sense for Jesus to glow and for two guys to show up out of nowhere? But let's get up and let's keep going. And let's face our fears, name them, know that they're there, and keep going anyway. Because Jesus is always with us. Even when we don't have chills, and even when we're not able to see him, and even when we're not sure that we're hearing him, I promise you, brothers and sisters, there hasn't been a moment of your life that Jesus hasn't been beside you. I know we long for mountaintop experiences. I know we wish we could hit the pause button and stay there forever the way Peter wants to. And God says to us, you're not done yet. There's people down in the valley that need you. You know what happens right after this story in Matthew? They go down and Jesus heals a child whose life is being ripped apart. Jesus knows that child's waiting for them. So he says, get up. 
Don't be afraid. Let's save the world together. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, I hope and I trust that all of us are going to have moments this week where we're awake to God being with us, being beside us, and then other moments where we're searching and we're trying and we just, we feel like our prayers are going as high as the ceiling and they're just not, they're not getting anywhere. I know, but we keep trying, we keep showing up, and we keep trusting that maybe one of the things we're most afraid of is that we're alone, and we start to believe our fear more than we lean into our faith. So just keep holding on, brothers and sisters. Hold on to one another. Hold on to hope, and listen, because I know with all that you've heard, you may think you've heard it all, but there's more that Jesus needs to say. Let's stand together now and